The Last Word with Matt Cooper. We're joined now by the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, who today brought about new extension of the free GP care scheme. Minister, how many extra people are going to get this free uh, availability? Good evening, Matt. From today, it'll be about an additional 215,000 people, and that's part of a half million additional people that we're bringing in. So as you and I discussed a few weeks ago, uh, all children aged six and seven are now covered uh, from from the 11th of August. Today, uh, 215,000, and then in November, about another 215,000. So essentially now, it's uh, all children up to including the age of seven, and then everyone to the median income. So it's an important day, Matt, because for the first time in the history of the state, uh, more than half the population will now have fully state-funded access to, to GP care. Will the doctors be able to cope with the volume of business that might bring about? They will because we're in line with expanding eligibility for people. We're providing a lot of additional funding directly to the GPs. So we have a €130 million Euro package in place we negotiated that with the IMO uh, on behalf of the GPs, the IMO. Uh, the IMO are backing this deal. It's not to say that individual GPs won't have issues. They may well have issues um, because exactly the kind of increase in people coming in to see them that they're talking about, that's what we want. There'll be people listening to you and I right now who have a sick child or they're sick themselves. Up until today, they haven't qualified for a GP card and they're saying, I don't have the 70 euro uh, to bring my child to the GP or to go myself to the GP. This is exactly who we're targeting with this measure. Measure It's the squeeze middle. And then being very respectful of the GP's position where they're saying, we need extra nursing. We need more GPs. That's what the 130 million euro is for, is to expand capacity within general practice. And I'm delighted to say that the uh, the inclusion of the six and seven year olds, which is really important, we've had a ninety five percent uptake from GPs, and I just want to say thank you to all the GPs who've uh, who've stepped up to do this because it's really really important for people who can't afford to see their GP. But but just as there are people who can't afford to see a GP and who need to go and now will be able to go, is there not a danger that the borderline cases are even less than borderline, that because it's free, parents will now bring children clogging up the system when they really don't need to do so? Inevitably, we will see some of that. I talk to GPs around the country and they say, yes, we do get the, as they say, the worried well coming in. I'm concerned about my child or I'm concerned about myself. Uh, and will there be visits that probably aren't necessary? There will be some of those visits. And inevitably, when we make uh, healthcare fully state funded, so free at the point of use for patients, you're going to get some of that. However, much more importantly, are the people at home who are getting sicker, who need to be seen by a GP, who can be treated by a GP, and they're saying, I'm sorry, but I don't have 70 euro. And if I or my kids need to go to the GP, uh, say a few times this year, so that could be two, three hundred euro. I don't have it. Now they don't need to pay. And really, this measure is all about them. But you say about the 130 million, which is available for GPs to hire supports, including advanced nurse practitioners. But isn't the issue that those people simply aren't there, that they're not going to get those? And indeed, that many areas of rural Ireland are now suffering from the failure to have any doctor at all, let alone add extra doctors to deal with an increased workload. 
we need more GPs and we're in the middle of a really important expansion in our GP workforce now and for the next few years because we've been increasing GP training places and we're con- we're, we'll continue them further next year. Uh, for every GP or for every two GPs who retire, between three and six GPs are qualifying. The vast majority of them are staying in Ireland. They're working as GPs. On top of that, the Irish College of General Practitioners, they're doing a fantastic job. They're bringing in between this year and next year several hundred uh, foreign GPs from places like South Africa. They're coming here for a few years. So we're expanding the GP workforce. And just as importantly, we're funding the GPs to expand the nursing workforce in general pra- uh, practice, including advanced practice, for exactly the reasons you've laid out. Yeah, but how confident are you that you will fill those positions? Because it's the same as in the hospital system, whereby the money is made available for consultancy posts or for nurses or for whoever is needed. And yet the vacancies remain unfilled because the people simply aren't there to take up the jobs. Well, well, the people are there and, and it's one of the really positive things that is happening in healthcare. So this is going to be the third record year of recruitment into our public health service in a row. Uh, Since this government started or since COVID arrived, we've increased the workforce by about 22,000. That includes many, many thousands, doctors, nurses, uh, health and social care professionals, lots more. You'll be aware, your listeners will be aware, we're also in the middle of doubling college healthcare places. So we're solving the problem in the short term by, by an unprecedented increase in clinicians, uh, in our hospitals, in the community sector, in, in, in general practice. And we're solving the problem in the long term by doubling college places to put Ireland in a, in a really sustainable place for, for years and I would imagine decades to come. Yeah, but are those numbers keeping up with the dramatic increase in the overall numbers of the population? Well, they are. And that's why what we're seeing now as well for the first time since 2015, we're seeing the waiting lists now beginning to fall. So uh, between now and the peak of covid the number of people, for example, waiting for an out for a for a hospital appointment or a hospital procedure, has fallen by nearly one hundred and forty thousand people. So, the capacity uh, is making a big difference. I think the important thing to say, Matt, though, is capacity on its own is never enough. And really, what we're engaged in is two things: uh, an unprecedented increase in capacity, be it an extra thousand beds or twenty-two thousand uh, workforce, and fundamental reform. So, making us all less reliant on hospitals investing in general practice, investing in chronic disease management in the community, investing in new primary care teams all over the country, uh, moving from a five-day-a-week service to a seven-day-a-week service so patients can be seen, patients can be discharged. And that combination of capacity and reform um, and huge kudos to our healthcare workers for all of the efforts they're making on reform uh, is 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 beginning to bear fruit. Now, it takes time. We haven't seen since last year was the first year that the the waiting list fell since 2015. Emergency departments uh, have been under pressure for many, many years. We are now seeing the benefits of all of these extra staff and these reforms are beginning to take hold as well. And and in general practice, I have to say, our, our GPs have been nothing short of magnificent right through COVID, but they also now have access to diagnostics for their patients they're leading on chronic disease management in the community. Um, they've really taken on this extra eligibility because the GPs say to me, look, we don't want any of our patients not able to afford to come in and see us, but we need more resource. And that's exactly what we've put in place uh, with the IMO. 
But then why do we have such catastrophic lengthy waiting lists in our emergency departments where depending on the day it can be 500, 600, 700 people waiting for admission into our hospitals? For a few reasons. For many years, we haven't had enough hospital beds. We've had one of the lowest levels in the OECD. That's why we've put in a thousand beds now. We've about another 500 under construction. Uh, and I'm looking for government agreement for another 1,500 through a rapid bill program. So that'd be about 3,000 hospital beds. It will fundamentally change Ireland's position. It's why we've hired an extra 22,000 people. And um, one of the areas I'm particularly keen on is our consultant numbers. Our consultant numbers per capita are far too low. Um, and that's why my belief is we have now about 3,800. Uh, we've sanctioned about 4,200. I believe we need to get up to about 6,000 and fix the structural deficits in our system. But can I just... Sorry, can I just so where are you going to find all yeah. these people? They're, they're not going to be all educated in Ireland to work through the system. Are they going to be willing to come to live in Ireland when housing is actually so expensive to access? Well, this is why this is such a positive story, Matt, because I'm, we're not talking hypothetically. We can point at the last three years and say we've had the biggest increase in healthcare professionals in this country ever. 22,000 extra healthcare professionals working in our system, in our communities, uh, in our hospitals. It's making a big difference. And so we need to continue with that. You'll be aware that we've launched the consultant contract there's a, lot of, uh, there's a lot of interest in that, as many hundreds of consultants have already signed up. Many more hundreds are um, looking at it in the process. And what we're hearing from around the world, obviously we've targeted Australia and New Zealand and Canada and America. The word we're getting back is the, the Irish-trained consultants who've gone abroad and indeed, indeed foreign-trained consultants. They're looking at this contract and they're saying this is very, very attractive. How many we're consultant seeing- contracts or how many consultant positions are vacant at present? Uh, I haven't got the figures with me, but there's a, there's a combination. It can of two often things. be seven, eight hundred, nine hundred at any one time, can't it? Well, there's a, there's a combination of two things. My numbers will be slightly off, Matt, because I don't have them. But broadly, there's about four hundred consultant positions where there are locums in place, and what we want to do, wherever it's appropriate, is convert those locums into full time roles under the new consultant contract. And then there's about four hundred posts or so. Um, which have yet to be filled. Now, there's two reasons for that, which we have to bear in mind. One is posts which have been difficult to fill for a long time. And, and another is new posts which we've created, which were in the process uh, of filling. But critically, we have a really strong consultant contract, a lot of interest. The consultant workforce is growing. And as I said, we need to grow it from about 4,000 to about 6,000. Yeah, but, but can I add, can I just add this, Matt, if I, if, if I may? And sorry, sorry for cutting across you. We, we talk a lot about we need more nurses, we need more beds, we need more consultants, we need more health and social care professionals. All true, we need more GPs. All true. But we must and we are fundamentally changing the way we deliver healthcare. It has to be integrated. It has to be community-led, leaving the hospitals to do what only hospitals can do. And we must transition to a a seven-day-a-week service as well. It's the combination of capacity and reform that is ultimately going to deliver for patients. Because other gaps are in things like CAMS, mental health services for children and adolescents, thousands of children not accepted by the HSE, according to the figures released uh, to Sinn Féin today in relation to this. A postcode lottery when it comes to parts of the country where children can actually get treatment. I am so aware of the parents right now who are desperately trying to get support for their, for their children. We had, at the start of the summer, about 4,600 children about one in every seven who's referred to CAMS 
um, was on a waiting list. That has now fallen to less, it's now 3,900. The conversation I'm having and Mary Butler, Minister Butler is having with the, with the HSE is to keep that number going uh, down so that everyone who needs access can get it. We also have to have a broader conversation. We spend a lot of time talking about CAMS, which is for the, for the most, the, the children who need the most help. But in fact, that's only for one, one child or adolescent in 50 who is referred in for mental health services. The solution is yes, uh, more staff in CAMS. We've brought in a new clinical, national clinical director, uh, Dr. Amanda Burke, decades of experience. She's all, she's up and running. Um, I've already been talking to her about how we bring those waiting lists down, but critically, we must target community based less severe youth mental health services for the other 49 and 50 people as well. They need to be integrated. They need to be joined up. We've had a big increase in staff. We've had a big increase in funding uh, through the time of this government. Minister Butler is working on this night and day, but we have a ways to go. We need to build the teams more. more. We need more integrated care, and we need to make sure that every single child and young person who needs access to mental health services, be they CAM services or the less severe, mild to moderate community-based services that they can get them. Okay, final point though, Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, the funding for all of this, because there are reports of a gap of about €2 billion between the money that you have and that the money you need to spend to deliver everything you're promising. So is the government going to give you the money a cabinet that you're looking for? That obviously is is something that'll that'll play out over the next few weeks, Matt. What I can say is 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 a, a few things on this. Uh, there is an overrun. Uh, it's not it's not around two billion euro, but there is a significant. How far overrun. off two billion is it? Well, as of the 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 end of July, it was about six hundred million. Um, but it's not figure. get towards the two billion by year end because an awful lot of bills come due to be paid towards the end of the calendar year. The, the advice from the department is, is that it won't. We know for the end of July it was around 600 million. But there's two things at play here. One is there are things the HSE needs to do better, like not hiring unfunded posts, removing some of the COVID investment where that's possible to do, reducing overtime, reducing agency. There are significant things the HSE needs to do, and we're working with them on that. However, it's also really important to say that the the majority of the HSE overrun is is not the HSE's fault, if you like. So whose it's fault is it? It's not the it's not anybody's fault. It's linked to higher prices than it was provisioned for. We know we're living in a time of inflation and a higher level of patient presentation than they were provisioned for. So when I speak with healthcare ministers around Europe, they're commonly saying that there are more people coming into their GPs, coming into their hospitals, into their community services than they had anticipated. There appears to be a post-COVID surge of demand and the HSE is responding to that and that they they do need to spend the money. There's no one who walks into an emergency department will be told, sorry, but we've re- reached our patient quota for for uh, for today. So it's a combination of... Might have to wait 24 volume. hours to be treated, though. Y- yes, yes, and, that's, and that is not acceptable. It's why we've put such a focus on urgent care and emergency care. And the solutions to this don't really lie in the emergency department. They lie upstream in the hospital, they lie in community care, they, they lie in discharge. It comes back to what we were talking about moving from a five-day-a-week service to a seven-day-a-week service. If there is a, a, a reason to be hopeful, it's that other than the last few weeks, the number of patients on trolleys has been declining from March. So from March to about July, we saw a steady decrease 
it went back up in August and we're obviously very closely involved with the HSE now to push that back down. And again, the answer to this is a combination of capacity in the emergency department, upstream in the hospital, in the community, okay. and, and creating a seven-day service so we don't see patients, you know, building up and waiting and waiting at the weekends to be discharged or admitted on a Monday or a Tuesday. Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly, thank you. 0874100102 gives you the last word by text or by WhatsApp. The last word with Matt Cooper. Weekdays from 4.30. Today and-